This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. This is Sports Charlotte, the podcast about, let's, let's see, what is it about? Oh, sports in Charlotte. That's right. It's not about food? No, no, that's a podcast <laughs> we haven't invented yet. Mm. But it's Friday, February 23rd, 2024. I'm Herb White. This is Cameron Williams over here to my left. And we've got all kinds of stuff to talk about. We're teamed up again to chop it up about who knows what. Well, let's just start with the obvious one out there, or maybe not so obvious, with the Hornets. And they have won four straight. And while that doesn't necessarily move the needle for national media, we're not national, so we can talk about it. And <laughs> it's all good with the Hornets, at least so far. They beat up on Utah last night, looked real good doing it. And with a four-game win streak, nobody's going to talk about these dudes qualifying for the playoffs. But it does look good. Or it does. It looks, it looks better. It does. Uh, they, they they won the trade deadline, if you ask me. Um, you know, you they're undefeated since the trade deadline. Um and bringing in Grant Williams, you know, a guy with, you know, hometown ties and personality, I just uh, I think that was a good move. And uh, Curry's fitting in well. And I just, I think they're just playing better, um, even without LaMelo. And I think that's, um, I guess, goes to show that, you know, this team can you know, still produce even without their supposed leader and best player on the floor. Uh, you may be their most marketable player, um, but you have to be able to play in order to be that marketable. And I I agree. I think that the trades that they made have at least temporarily put them in a better place. Now, it does still remain to be seen what's going to happen moving down the road in terms of who gets to stick around for next year. Uh, Miles Bridges is going to have to have his contract situation uh, worked on and resolved one way or the other, whether it's in Charlotte or someplace else. Uh, But yeah, this is a group of people, a roster now, that looks like it can be competitive. And that's really all you can hope for after what this franchise has been through recently. Yeah, and I think once they get completely healthy, I think it's going to be a different, just a different team. Um, you bring LaMelo back, who's any given night can go for 25, 10, and 7, let's say, and then you bring Mark Williams back, who's a true rim protector and can run the floor and score inside. I mean, there's no slight on Nick Richards. He's been productive in Williams' absence, but I just think Williams is, is much more talented. Um, and, I mean, obviously Brandon Miller's you know, playing really well, um, got his numbers up. And so I think just moving forward, but it, I mean, it reminds me of what we talked about a few weeks ago. They made trades to not only bring in talented players, but they got draft capital. They got picks out of all these trades and ordeals. So that's that's crucial moving forward. And I think if they just make the right decisions, which has not necessarily been the Hornets' forte. <laughs> no, it hasn't. If they make the right decisions in the draft, I think they can put the pieces you know, in, in this puzzle to really uh, build something that can be sustained moving forward. The other side of that, obviously you have the on-the-floor product, and that's looking pretty good. But the even more intriguing part of this all, this thing to me is the people who are making the decisions now. 
and you see that gradual change of the folks who were here during the Michael Jordan era. <laughs> They're moving on, retiring, or being moved over to advisory roles, what have you. There's, a, there's new voices yeah. that are making decisions and calling the shots. And so far, the new owners are doing hands-on in a very productive way. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's all a franchise needs, some fresh faces. I mean... <laughs> but, and better decision-making. Well, I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I, well, that kind of goes without saying. But, I mean, it's it's nice to see, you know, being you know, a sports reporter or you know, a reporter in general in Charlotte to see, you know, the professional basketball team doing better because when they're when they were losing ten plus consecutive games, there was just no excitement or buzz, pun completely intended, um, around the team. So it's uh moving forward I just think better decisions they'll they'll, they'll have this franchise looking right. And I'm not gonna give it necessarily a timetable but not next year, so don't don't think you know this is going to be you know night and day, but in four straight, I can't say that they've done that in a while. Well, unless it was four straight losses. Well, that losses <laughs> compounded by two or three. Uh, but even at that, when you talk about those new voices, Steve Clifford is still the coach. And is this a matter of he's got better players to work with? Or is there something else in that mix? I mean, because no one is exactly saying anything one way or the other as to whether he'll be back. And we know this franchise in the past has struggled with the right coach at the right time. Some poor decision-making in terms of coaching hires, GM hires. Is Steve Clifford the guy who needs to be that bridge moving forward? I think he could be. Uh, and uh, this is an unpopular opinion, I'm sure, but I wasn't totally, you know, off board, so to speak, with Clifford the first time. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, weren't in favor of him, but um, do I think Borrego was probably a better coach? Yes, but I didn't think Clifford was awful. Um, some people just wanted to bash him, and but I mean, he's he's showing now. I mean, he's putting together, you know, the win streak they've had, and. Um, I think it's easy to always just point a finger right at the head coach, but well, that's because it's easier to fire a head coach than it is to fire an entire roster. That's true, <laughs> but sometimes it's not always the coach's fault. Yeah, but somebody's got to take the fall. Yeah, well, and that's that's why the head coaching <laughs> position is probably the. I mean, I know it's highly sought after, but when it comes down to brass taxes, no one wants to have that responsibility. Yeah, and I think that most coaches understand what's involved with this, they come in knowing that they're hired to be fired, ultimately. Very few of them get to retire on their own uh, say-so. Yeah, unless you're Greg Popovich. <laughs> He's rare. Yeah, and, or uh, uh, Phil Jackson. Yeah, and uh, maybe Eric Spolstra in Miami. Mm. I think he'll get the opportunity to walk away whenever he gets ready. But everybody else is going to be exposed to the whims of ownership and the people that they serve. Yeah. I mean, you look at someone as successful as even Doc Rivers. I mean, even he got the Well, the success is measured by NBA championships. He's been successful once. Okay. (laughs) 
I'm not throwing shade on him. I'm just saying that's that's what he has. You're hating on Doc, man. <laughs> I mean, but he's had a lot of great teams. Yeah, he's only had the the one championship in what '08, I believe. But I just I think success is measured in different ways. And if you're solely basing it on championship, there's a lot of head coaches that a lot would deem really good that aren't good because they don't have the five six rings. Yeah, and you got to understand too, winning a title at the highest levels of a sport is difficult as it is. And if you get more than one, you've really done something for yourself. Yeah. So it, it it's a good point. It's a good point. So more basketball on the local level. Uh, Charlotte 49ers are in second place in the AAC, but they took a pretty bruising loss a couple of nights ago, but still in position to do something later on. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Memphis game, it was tough. Um, it's what I was what I was worried about before the game. Came to fruition. I wish sometimes I wouldn't be right about things. Um, <laughs> Nostradamus here! <laughs> the <laughs> rebounding was, it was atrocious. Uh, they lost the rebounding battle like minus 17 or minus 18 and I knew that was going to be a point of emphasis that they just didn't they didn't live up to you know expectation and then um, they had some scoring droughts got in foul trouble early um you know like Patterson picks up three fouls in the first four or five minutes of the game and it just it was all downhill from there but even at that they are in a much better spot than anybody would have guest at the beginning of the season. Of course, now, prognostication can be a very treacherous business <laughs> where folks will make their best educated, some might argue least educated, guess as to where teams will stack up in a season, uh, but they have played way beyond expectation. So, are they pretty much playing with house money at this stage in the season? <sighs> From the fans' perspective, probably. Um, I can tell you in that locker room, that's not what the message is. Um, <laughs> they they want to win the AEC title, and they want to get to the NCAA tournament and call some upsets in the tournament. Um, this isn't a team that just wants to say, okay, well, we've, we've exceeded other people's expectations. They knew what they were capable of, and I guarantee you Fern's not the kind of guy that's going to be like, okay, well, we had a pretty good year. No, nah. <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna be fired up. I I'd hate hated to have been at um, the guy's next practice because I'm sure that was um, less than pleasant. The other side of this argument would be though that no matter how well they stack up during the regular season, the conference tournament is really where everything is going to be made or broken, and there's going to be some debate as to whether. The American deserves more than the automatic bid? And if so, how many? And I believe you could say legitimately that there's at least three teams, possibly four, Mm -hmm. who believe that they are worthy of making the field of 68. If you're the 49ers, are you thinking, you know, maybe we should 
try to win the whole thing to make sure we can get in because you just don't know how many bids are going to be given to that league. Well, not everything in life is fair, and this is one of them. Um, I, they've they've got to win the conference tournament to get in now. It's just there. It, it's just that cut and dry. Um, that loss to Memphis probably eliminated the chance they'd get in at large. So, and it the the funny the the funny thing about this whole thing is earlier in the year when FAU and Memphis were both ranked and. Um, you know, USF and Charlotte were kind of climbing up the standing. It's like, oh, this could be a three-bid league, and, you know, Charlotte getting at large because, you know, FAU's going to win the conference tournament, and that would be an automatic qualifier and all this yada yada. And so now, because Memphis has fallen back so much, they're saying, well, that might be one less bid that the American gets. I'm like, why? You just move USF and Charlotte up into those spots and move Memphis down. They can still get the same amount of bids, but basically what I'm hearing is the committee is um, throwing shade, if you will, on maybe that team in the third or fourth spot. That's what it sounds like to me. Not enough of a national brand, because let's face it, a lot of this is based on reputation. Yeah. So if you don't have that rep, if you don't have those signature wins... That kind of leaves you down there in mid-major territory, mm-hmm. in reality. And yeah. mid-major leagues are not going to get multiple bids. And so where are those bids going? They're going to the so-called Power Five conferences. It's, well, I mean, the A-10 gets multiple bids every year. <laughs> but again, it has a higher national profile for whatever reason. Eh, I mean... Davidson, sure, but I mean they he was, they were put on the map because of Curry. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I just, uh, how I long that lasts? It's it's probably not still there for Davidson. But if you're talking about a, a team like Dayton, yeah, that's really good. Well, that, Dayton's a good ball ball team. Yeah, um, they're pretty solid, no doubt about it. But eighteen just, is probably still just a one big league. Yeah, this year, probably, unless yeah. Dayton loses in their tournament, then it yeah. would probably be a two. I just think it's funny watching, you know, all the, the bracket guys like uh, Joe Lenardi, for example, and how he's got FAU on the 6th line and USF on the 13th line. I'm like, check the conference standings, check the overall records. Why is USF below them? I, it's just perplexing to me, but yeah, that's why they get paid to do all that number crunching and RPI junk and... I just observe. <laughs> well, it's it's fun to talk about because that's all it is, basically. Yeah. It's something to talk about. It's not necessarily reality. It's fun to talk about it because you can't account for the unaccountable. Yeah, The worst yeah. thing that can happen for the American Conference is FAU wins the American Conference Tournament. Then it may be oh, it's one. A one. It's a one-bit league <laughs> yeah. at that point. Yeah. Uh, other basketball that's going on in Charlotte uh, – Saturday is the final day of the CIAA regular season. Uh, Johnson C. Smith is playing Claflin, which is uh, in first in the Southern Division. Smith is fifth, sixth in the in the Southern. Uh, it's near the bottom, but it's not totally at the bottom, <laughs> which is where they were predicted to finish in preseason polling. Um, the one thing that stands out about the Golden Bulls this year, other than uh, 
their inability to win on the road because they have just one road win is it, they clinched a winning season yeah. uh, Wednesday when they beat Livingstone at Bray Boy Gym, uh, and that's their first winning season since uh, the twenty since the twenty nineteen twenty twenty season. So they've had a rough patch of sub five hundred basketball, and although the uh, the record doesn't necessarily show it, that is some well, it does show it. it it's some improvement. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was a five win team. Uh, last year it was a nine win team. This year, they're at thirteen and could get to fourteen with a win against Claflin. So it. They're going in the right direction, and uh, Coach Steve Joyner is still in pursuit of win number 600. I think he's at 598 now, Ooh. 599. So he could get 600 uh, tomorrow or at the Seattle tournament, uh, depending on how things shake out there. So Sounds like you may need to go to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I, I love to watch history being made, uh, but uh, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> yes, we shall. Yes, we shall. And speaking of the CIAA, uh, word got out this week uh, in some reporting that we broke first, uh, that Charlotte is going to submit a bid for the conference's uh, football title game starting in 2025. Uh, City Council Member uh, James Mitchell, as uh, anyone who listens to the podcast knows, has uh, confirmed that the city is interested in doing that. And it's an interesting take on how the city is trying to get back in the good graces of the CIAA, or maybe not back in the good graces, but trying to add to that portfolio with another CIAA signature event. Yeah. Um, any, anytime you can bring, you know, events back to back to the QC, I just I think it's um, it's important, um, not only from a revenue perspective, but just, just getting fans involved. And I think that's, um, that, that's big, getting, getting fans excited about, you know, what's coming to Charlotte. And, and you know, Charlotte, it, it's what where I call home. Um, even though I live in Concord, you know, I'm just right, you know, right down the road from Charlotte, and I do all my work in Charlotte. So it's nice to see, you know, events being brought back to Charlotte. And it, it is not the CIAA basketball tournament, which is a major money maker for the whole city. Uh, football is sort of historically the afterthought when you think of the CIAA, but it is interesting that CIAA football has gotten better. Uh, in recent years, they've had it's been a two bid league to the NCAA Division Two playoffs. Um, Virginia Union has a really, really good program. Uh, Fayetteville State has uh, has won the last six Southern Division titles and has a conference championship in its belt uh, during that stretch. Uh, and I think that there's enough interest now in Seattle football to where you're going to get multiple cities involved in the bidding process. And from what I'm hearing, not only is Charlotte going to be on that list of contenders, Winston-Salem, mm-hmm. uh, Durham, which lost the Seattle uh, football championship back in 2016 uh, when the league pulled up 
roots and sent it over to Salem, Virginia because of HB2. And so it hasn't been back to North Carolina since then. But wow. the major players now, uh, if Salem may jump in there and there may be some other places north of the border that will try to lure the game to their uh, cities. But North Carolina is going to have a strong delegation of folks uh, who are going to uh, compete for it. So we'll see how that works out. And, and I think that it would be a, a great pairing uh, for the uh, for the city in terms of football title games because the ACC has its mm-hmm. football championship. Uh, and basketball tournament's coming back. Yeah, and Charlotte, it, it, Charlotte has that relationship with the ACC. The CIAA is also located in Charlotte, so why not yeah. try to do some of that as well? It, granted, it's Division Two, but there are plenty of Division Two black college uh, alumni and fans who live in Charlotte and close proximity to the place. I think it has as good a chance as anybody else and maybe even a better one because of the facilities that are involved. Yeah, and hey... Smith's on the up and up in football. Absolutely, <laughs> and uh, Councilman Mitchell talked about that as well. And could Coach Maurice Flowers be using that as a carrot for his guys? We want to be playing in our backyard third week in November. So there is that to shoot for. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, so uh, what are you looking for going forward? Uh What's on your radar as far as a big deal in sports, locally or nationally? Well, now the NFL season's over. Uh, too bad, but it's time not to, really over. It's just slowed down some. Well, it's time to time to see what the Panthers do in the off season. Um, but I do want to make a point that I made on a, a much prior podcast when we were talking about sleeper teams to win the Super Bowl. I said Kansas City Chiefs. Myself a little pat on the back, so. Oh, that was what eight weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> I'll still get myself a little pat on the back. I um, got that one right, but um, you know, just winding down the college basketball season, you know, I'm, you know, as a it's the sport that kind of kind of makes me tick. I love college hoops. Um, ready to ready to see the NCAA tournament. Um, there was, <laughs> was nothing worse than 2020 when I, I remember it so vividly. I go into uh, an earth science class over at UNC Charlotte, and we had a test that day. And you know the murmurings and stuff about the virus were going around. Um, my dad and I, on a whim, bought a ticket to the ACC tournament, drove up to Greensboro the previous night, and watched uh, Syracuse beat North Carolina in the nightcap game, and then. Yeah, the stuff about Rudy Gobert started surfacing and all this stuff. Touching the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I remember thinking, man, what if, what if the tournament just got canceled? And then I walk out and you know, have my phone on silent or whatever during the exam and uh, get out of class. And I'm like, I look down, everything's canceled. That was just the weirdest time for not, not only sports people, but, but everyone. I mean, life was just so weird during that time and. Um, it made you appreciate the NCAA tournament even more, and even though the next year was without fans and all this stuff, but uh, it's good to see the the tournament get back to what it what it was and just the excitement behind it. Yeah, 
That's a good take. That's a good take. <laughs> Especially if the 49ers find a way to that'd be, that'd make be awesome. some magic come March. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see, you know, which uh, which team comes to Charlotte because usually always either North Carolina or Duke ends up in Charlotte. So uh, that'll be neat to uh, go cover the first rounds here in Charlotte. Yeah, and I'm, first and second rounds actually. I'm looking forward to it regardless of who shows up because uh, crazy things are known to happen, and maybe the craziest one ever was the time that uh, Maryland Baltimore County. Beat Virginia here. Yeah. here. That's, <laughs> oh. that's exactly what came to mind. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, look, regardless of what else is happening, uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast uh, on Queen City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, the usual places where you access your podcasts. And also, uh, do us a favor, go to our website at thecharlottepost.com, subscribe to our sports newsletter, as well as our other offerings. Uh, We would appreciate your support there, and even better, if uh, you become a subscriber. So that way, you have access to everything that we're rolling with. And so that'll do it for this episode. Everybody at the post, I'm Herb. Oh, I'm Cameron. Sorry, had me drinking coffee. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Queen City Podcast Network.com. Oh.